Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am so excited to bring on as a guest my good friend and colleague and former coach, Jim Palmer. Jim, welcome to my show. Hey, Meredith. I'm, I'm thrilled that you have this show and it's video and we can see you and communicate. And Yes, it's wonderful. And Jim, you know, I'm going to do your formal introduction, but I just want to let my audience know Jim was one of my mentors in business. I was in his really back then it was kind of new, wasn't it? A virtual coaching program. You were one of the original founding members of the Dream Business Mastermind. Yeah. And it was so great um, to be a part of that for such a long time. And Jim is just one of these really giving people who is is willing to share his own failures, setbacks, uh, learnings um, in order to help others grow and learn too. And Jim, you're just a continuous learner. So you're always an inspiration. Learning how not to sink these these last few years. Yes. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll be talking about your boat adventure in just a minute. Let me give a more formal introduction first before we jump into Um, The first question, Jim is a serial entrepreneur, a marketing expert, and an in-demand small business coach. He's the founder of the Dream Business Academy and Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program. And Jim has had experience doing videos way before most people ever thought about it. He faithfully did a video every week, and he also is a podcaster. And so his shows have been watched or heard by thousands of entrepreneurs and small business owners over the last, what, at least 10 years. He's 2009, when that little flip camera came out, that's when I started. (laughs) And he's also written seven books. I have four of them right here. And we're going to be talking. Here's another one. They're all around marketing and business strategies. And he has grown, started and grown multiple six-figure businesses. Now, here's the interesting thing that is unique about Jim as a guest. For 30 years, Jim and his wife, Stephanie, were practical and predictable. They lived in suburban Philadelphia where they raised four children. And then after the children all were grown left and had left home in 2016, they made a, a major change that most of us can only imagine. Some of us can't even imagine doing it. <laughs> <laughs> they sold their house and decided they were going to live on their boat full time. And now four years later, they are still doing that from his- That's a picture of my boat, by the way, on my latest book. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Well, from his floating home today, Captain Jim teaches entrepreneurs and small business owners how to create their dream business so they too can live their dream lifestyle. I love that, Jim, that you are really living your dream. So first, you've got to just tell us more about how you moved, how you made that shift from being predictable 
to adventurous. And besides that, keep this question in mind too. Okay. How has that changed you and the way you approach your business and life over these last four years? Well, Meredith, it's really interesting. I'll sort of circle into the second question because when I wrote Decide, this was my sixth book. And when you and I uh, used to get on the video calls, I would have in my home office three books here and three books here behind me. (laughs) And then when we moved on the boat, um, something was stirred up inside about going on an adventure, taking risk, which we certainly do have to take risk going out in the ocean. First, I've only been on an ocean on a ferry going to Martha's Vineyard when I was 10 years old. Other than that, we're driving this boat out of the ocean. And um, but it seems like I was blessed with some success in business. And then I sort of got into the groove and got comfortable. It didn't feel like it at the time, but you know, you doing well, let's just go. And then Stephanie, um, she was put in a pretty high stress job and she decided she wanted to leave that job. Now me being a small business coach, I can work anywhere that I have a good internet connection. <clears throat> so she said, I want to go on a big adventure. She came home from work one day. So I want to go on a big adventure. And we looked at different things. Are we going to go live on an island for a year, then come back? Or what? We didn't know what to do, but we had purchased a 30-foot boat three years earlier, and we loved it. We fell in love with the boating lifestyle. We were there every weekend. And she said, well, what if we live on a boat? I said, well, we'll need a bigger boat. And so we sold the house. We sold the 30-foot boat, and we bought this boat, which is 50 feet. And um, we set off on a one-year adventure that three months in we knew would not be a one-year adventure. We just love it so much. And we travel up and down the coast. Um, we have plans to do what's called the Great Loop, where you can circumnavigate the entire eastern part of the United States. It takes a year to do that. But every time we go out and do something from planning routes to pulling into a very tight marina with wind and currents and a lot of people watching, it just raises your heart rate unbelievably quickly, right? <laughs> but um, it, it feels like we're, we're, we're taking risk again because there's no safe way. I mean, we, excuse me, you can be safe, but there's no way to predict everything that can and will go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided I need to write this book, just say yes, because it really mirrors business in life. Life is not supposed to be straight down the middle, predictable and reliable, right? Like we talked about. Um, so I, it really reinvigorated my entrepreneurial spirit, even when I thought, I'm in a good place now. We'll just ride this out for a few more years. I'm 62, but have no desire to sit down and do nothing. But I, you know, it wasn't like I was in peak building mode like I was 10 or 15 years ago. But it reinvigorated my my spirit to to to, to take risk and to sit and to just say yes. And by the way, the title came from uh, I was reading a book from um, somebody who who had sold their house and lived on a boat. Turns out a lot of people do this, and. Um, he was an entrepreneur. He was a musician and a writer. And he said something in the end of his book. He said, um, so many people dream of the romantic lifestyle, living on a boat with sunsets and sunrises. Believe me, there's a lot more to it than sunrises and cocktails. But, but he said, and every day you'll wake up, there'll be a new challenge, something else to fix. And it, all these different things that you'll have to overcome. And he says, you'll never know what you're capable of unless you just say yes and go live on a boat. So that's kind of, and I actually sent him a copy of my book and said, you inspired the title of my book, but that's where it came from. And that's a little bit of my mantra today as a coach. Well, should I do this, Jim? I don't know. Should I create this new? What about just say yes. I mean, 
you know, because of my cancer, like this one thing I came from my home office, Meredith, you know, I'm a big fan of hourglasses because the sand is always running out. So if you think about what you're going to put off, which Stephanie and I said, well, should we both work and put away real hard for another five years or 10 years? But what if something happens and one of us isn't here? You know, we just didn't want to wake up with regret. Regret is not a good thing. So, so, so it's a long answer to your first question, but that's kind of why we chose to do this. Mm-hmm. I love that. And so for your own personal development as a business owner and just as a human being, it seems to me that you probably have become more willing to say yes quicker mm-hmm. without having to um, hem and haw over whether you should or not. Is that it's, accurate? Well, it's, it's a, it's a, with, you might not even know how astute your question is because just on the way up to where we are now, we're in South Carolina, we're, we take what's called the intercoastal waterway, which is a series of rivers, canals, some bigger sounds, but we were going um, up to Savannah, up the uh, Savannah River, which is a major shipping channel, like, you know, these 500, 600 foot huge cargo ships. And I got behind one of them and you can't pass it. I mean, you shouldn't, it's not safe. They throw a huge wake. And then when I was getting ready to go by, when he was slowing down and going to be docking, there was a whole dredging operation. And when you're looking ahead and I see the dredge, it looked like he's going all the way across. So there's no way to go. But as you get closer, you see that you can kind of go between the dredge pipes. You have to make very, very quick decisions or you could get in trouble you know, we get in big waves. Sometimes we got in some serious waves one time a couple of years ago. We both thought that was it. We're done. We're selling the boat. But you know, here we are. But you have to think very, very quickly. And it's I used to think I thought quickly as an entrepreneur. But maybe if I thought quickly, I got an idea in the morning and maybe I launched it in a day or a week. But you have to make very, very quick decisions when you're on the water for, the, for your own safety. And so given that, uh, let's look at your book, Decide, for a minute. Mm-hmm. And thinking about how you coach your clients now, I'm guessing it's somewhat different than it used to be. I mean, I know you've always been one to get people to decide, but what are some of the ways that you, because I'm thinking of my listeners, if, if they might be stuck on a particular decision, and not sure whether they're going to make a mistake if they do it. What are some things you do to move your clients along with their decision-making process? Well, one of the first things I do is get clarity that they, they may not see clarity. By the way, there's clarity when they bring ideas and things to me. And I say, yeah, look at you, you're, you're free to do it, but I would not, if it was me, I wouldn't do it. What, one of the things I've learned as a coach for all these years, I've learned to phrase things in a certain way that you can take ownership of it, right? So when somebody said, I'm going to do it this way, I said, well, that's one option. That's certainly one alternative. Can I present another one? Yeah. And then I say, this is my, what might happen if you do it or if you don't do it. My own daughter, Jessica Rhodes, who, you know, I helped her start Interview Connections. I told her very early on, she pioneered the whole podcast guesting service. I said, as soon as you become successful, people can go, oh, and then you're going to have, you know, 50 or 100 copycats. So you got to go quick. You got to go fast. So we helped build her company really quickly. And she's still the biggest one. But you're, there's so many things. And I realized that from my own experience working with coaches that when I became an entrepreneur, and I know this is probably true with some of your, your, your viewers and listeners, that I no longer want to be working for the man or the, you know, the woman, whatever, the boss. I'm the boss now. It's my thing. It's my business. 
if there's something I don't want to do, I don't have to do it, right? So it's your choice as the business owner. Nobody's going to call you down the hall and, and you know, ream you because you chose not to do something or did it wrong. But that's also the that's the good part of it. The bad part of it, there's nobody going to make you do something. And that's what why working with a coach. One quick story I'll share is I call this my most embarrassing moment as an entrepreneur is when um, when I started coaching in 2009, it was around 2011, I joined a mastermind, which had some pretty high powered coaches in it because I figured I want to learn. But you know, when you go into a mastermind group, I don't know if anybody's ever had this feeling, but you feel like you're not the smartest one in the room, right? You're the least accomplished. Oh, sure, Jim, you're the only one, right? So, I shared, this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. And I, and um, on a break, and this was a good part. It wasn't in front of everybody when you're standing up there having your hot seat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. This person who had a, a, was doing about two and a half million dollars in coaching, which to me is like, oh, this on high, right? So he took me aside and he said, Jim, I'd like to ask you a question. I thought, okay, cool. I'm going to really get some, some good stuff now. And he says, I'm aware of what you're doing to grow your coaching business. I know you'd like to have a a big business, kind of like perhaps me or some of the other people in the room. So I'm aware of what you're doing, but let me ask you a question. I'm also aware, Jim, of what you're not doing. And I'd like to, the question I'd like to know is how do you feel that you're entitled to achieve the same level of success, but you're not willing to do these things over here that everybody in this room has done? How does that work for you? And I know I turned beat red, Meredith. It was really horrible, (laughs) but, um, it was, it was one of the greatest gifts I've ever received as an as a entrepreneur. And I sort of carry some of that. I don't know if we, we've ever had a conversation like that, but it, people in my group have nicknamed it Jim's Tough Love, where if I have to get really clear with you, because somebody got very clear with me. And some of the things I wasn't doing was holding my own events. I wasn't out speaking as much as I should. I did have a book or two, but I think I really got busy creating more books. There was a whole bunch of things that that equate to me putting myself out there. Because when you put yourself out there, you're more likely to uh, get criticism, pot shots, either from competitors or people who aren't doing anything. Sometimes in your own community, which might even involve your own family, like who do you think you are, and you know, blah blah blah. And and, and you got to really develop a thick skin. As I say, the higher your the higher your star goes up, the more your will you're going to take incoming fire, so to speak. So to me, I wanted I'm I, I always t- thought it in my own head I'm going to get there too where these guys are, but I'm going to do it my way. And the reality is, I'll get there a whole lot faster if I just do what I'm supposed to do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so a part of what is a is a good coach is willing to hold people's feet to the fire, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, when you were just talking, it made me think of two things that you've written about. And uh, one of them is this idea of getting past the imposter syndrome. Yes. So talk a little bit about how do you define that? And what do you, what do you recommend to clients to help them move past that? So Meredith, I've helped um, brand new entrepreneurs. A couple of years ago, I helped somebody just graduated college, start her first business. And my Largest client a few years back was doing $34 million. And I will tell you, every single person I've worked with over since 2009, gosh, that 12 years now, is has some level of the imposter syndrome. And the imposter syndrome is when in your own brain, no matter how much success you've had, you're thinking, what if, what if they just find out it's just me? What if they find out I'm not as successful as I think I am? 
you know, what if they find out? What if people discover? And it's because you feel like an imposter sometimes, like, man, I've created all these businesses, but I never finished college. I've been a coach for 12 years. I never went to coaching school. I, I've, I've, I have published seven books. I barely passed English in high school. All these things go into your head. And the imposter syndrome is one of the biggest barriers to people achieving more. When I started my first business in 2001, Meredith, just a local business producing newsletters for local companies and corporations and nonprofits. And so I'd, I'd go to meet with prospective customers, but I'd always go to their office or I'd meet them for breakfast or lunch because I had a home office. When I started my business, I was in what was our dining room with a with about a three-year-old uh, computer. That was it. That was my business. And then my brain, and I had fancy business cards from Vistaprint. That was my whole business. And I felt, what if they find out I've, I'm nobody? I'm just Jim Palmer starting a business. And in reality, what I learned is that, wait, I'm not brand new at this. I've been writing, my, I wrote my first newsletter when I was 21 years old. So I've been doing this for over 20 years at that point. And one of my fears from the imposter syndrome side of things was if they ask where my office was, because in 2001, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, in vogue or classy or, or as acceptable to have a home office. You weren't a real business back in the day, unless you had a real business, an office with glass doors and a receptionist. And um, so I was always afraid that people were going to ask, well, where's your office? So my answer was, oh, I'm, I'm over by Eagle View, which was a corporate center. Oh, are you on uh, Eagle View Boulevard? No, I'm, I'm off of Township Line Road thinking, okay, that's two questions. Don't press me for a third. Oh, I know where Township Line Road. And then I'd finally say, no, I'm, I'm up on Saddle Drive. I, I have a home office. But only one time in like the five years I ran that business, did, did anybody press it? And to me, I was worrying about being found out that I wasn't a real business. And then, you know what they got? The one, the one guy who pressed it and he says, oh, I envy you so much. I hate my commute every morning. I wish I could work out of the house. But that's the imposter syndrome. And um, there's so many things you can do. But one of the things that's very, very helpful is, is keep a very close eye on everything that you accomplish, even the small things. Mm -hmm. Now, later on, and you know, my biggest mentor, Dan Kennedy, told me this would happen. You'll start getting letters or presents or people might send you, you know, things. And that started happening. And, and I started saving them. I had a desk drawer or in my credenza behind my home office. I had a file with the letters and I'd print out emails and somebody would send me a card or somebody sent me some things uh, I don't have it here, but somebody sent me a mug with my name on. I mean, just different things. And that's when you know you're having a very big impact. One of my, one of my sayings when I'm helping other people start coaching programs said, look, if you, if you get a good coaching program going, the paycheck will be good, but the pay that you're going to smile at even larger is when somebody tells you how much you've impacted their life. Mm -hmm. I, I know you remember, cause this goes way back to the day when, when we were coaching together. Um, I don't know if you remember the name, Dr. Carrie, but she was um, Dr. Carrie Drisgo is a, um, one of the first doctors that I've helped. And ultimately we doubled the size of her practice. Well, about 18 months ago, Meredith, and she hasn't been with me in a while, but 18 months ago, she sent me an email and said, Jim, I just wanted, you to know, I just bought, I'm, she's like, I think, she, I don't think she'd mind, but she said, well, I'll just say she's over 40. I'll just leave it at that. And she goes, I just bought my first car 
and I paid cash for it and I feel like a real badass. Thank you. And I'm like, wow, you know, so the, when you're really good at what you do, and I don't mean this about me, I am good at what I do, but for everybody, you've got to be good at what you're doing and you're going to have an impact in their lives. You should be handsomely rewarded for that. But whether you've gone to coaching university or completed college, no matter what you've done, if you do that for people, you should stand up and, and just acknowledge and be grateful that you have that ability to do that. So remembering the, everything that you do. One of my clients just got a brand new client from a book that we helped him publish. And I said, make sure you go out and celebrate. He, oh, I did. I took the family out to dinner last night. I'm always reminding people, go celebrate your the little things, that everything, little or big, that you're doing, because that will help. It will help override the negativity that's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... That makes so much sense uh, because I think we tend to be more critical. We see what's wrong with ourselves as well as with others. And then the other piece of, I guess, rising up, you mentioned it yourself, the higher you go, the more people are going to be criticizing you. Yes. And so, you know, you write about immunity to criticism. And so thinking about the discord that exists in our society yeah. in general right now, but also when somebody tries something, and especially if you have doubts yourself about what you're doing, then you're more susceptible, don't you think, to, to responding to criticism you get from others. So how do you develop that immunity to well, it, it's it, it goes hand in hand because the reason people don't step out and do more is fear of criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, it, way way back before my my thirty foot, but we had kayaks. Remember, I used to film videos I in my kayaks. Those, yeah. And there and there was one time I I was filming a, a video. It was around lunchtime, and uh, I was come getting out of the water, and there's a a young mother with two kids there, and she goes, "Oh, that looks like so much fun." I said, "Oh, I love it. It's really great." She goes, "If you don't mind my asking, um, how are you able to be kayak in the middle of the day?" And I proudly said, "Well, I own my own business." She had no idea I barely make any money, but I said, "I own my own business," and she goes, "Oh, it must be nice." And I said, "Well, it is." And then as I'm walking to my car with my kayak, I said. Yeah, I can choose whatever 18 hours in the day I want to work because I guarantee I'll be working when you're sleeping in my head. Now, it's a little bit of a silly story, but in reality, some of the things that are said and you take internally that could hurt you aren't meant to hurt you. They're innocent observations, right? Um, then there are people who want to take shots at you. I forget who said it, but if you want to have the tallest building in New York, you can either build it or you tear everybody else down. I much prefer to just go do my own thing. Mm -hmm. The third thing about being immune to criticism is coming to realize, and I think this is a little part of my faith life, is that um, people that often criticize and take shots at others really have low self-esteem. And that's one of the ways they help themselves feel better. So if you just remember that and almost, I don't know if pity is the right word, but just pray for them. Boy, I hope your life gets better where you don't have to sit here, you know, ruining somebody else's life. Not that I would respond that way, but, and the fourth thing I'll say, I think is um, I, I don't, I don't let it get to me. In fact, I just delete it. I don't even, cause I'm, I'm not, First of all, I'm not being paid. I don't have time to go try and help other people. I have no idea who they are. You know, when I was doing those videos, Meredith, back in the day, every time I launched a weekly video produced, not like we're doing here or on Facebook Live, but these were like little produced videos and I'd edit them. I was getting like a thousand views a week at, at the high point. 
And I would have people like, um, if you remember my first rescue dog, Toby, the little beagle basset. Mm -hmm. Well, I, of course, I'd, I'd always use the opportunity when I was either walking with him, I'd have my selfie stick and my camera out there and I'd shoot video. And the guy says, I don't think it's right that you use the, your dog as a prop. I mean, he didn't say they're people too. I forget what he said, but, and he says, by the way, Jim, when you bend down and say, Oh, come on, Toby, you're taking your eye off the camera. And that means you're taking your eye off me. I think that's very just, Oh, he just read me the riot act with all this stuff. Right. <laughs> and first I started fuming, like, what the hell? I'm going to hit reply and say, who do you think you are? Anyway, I just, I just deleted it because it has to be water off a, a duck's back. It's the only way where, you know, you can get through it. Dan Kennedy had another way of saying, he says, if I, if I'm the only people whose opinions that really count are those of your paying clients. Right. And when you're a good marketer, I was doing an interview actually just a couple hours ago. And I said, when you're a good marketer, two things are going to happen. You put out some information, some content, video, podcast, book, interview, whatever, you're going to tend to attract some people, but you'll repel some people. What I figured out, and I've, you've heard this expression so my whole life, I know you've heard it, the truth shall set you free. Um, if you just be your authentic self, you never have to remember, wait, what role am I playing now? <laughs> Who am I talking to? What story am I, I've told? Just be your authentic self. And believe me, there's plenty of people that don't want to do business with me because they think I'm too loosey-goosey. I pretty much wear a t-shirt. I put on a collared shirt for you, Meredith. But there's people who just think I'm too off the cuff and things like that. And uh, so that's okay. I'm not meant to do business with everybody. As I tell people, especially if you're starting, if you had 20 or 30 clients paying you, you know, X number, you can make a very nice living. You don't need thousands of people to make a nice business. So just focus on being yourself bringing the gifts that you have to market and serving clients and doing it in a great way, provide a lot of value and then be rewarded for doing that. And when the incoming fire comes in, in terms of criticism, let it go, just delete it and let it go. Mm -hmm. That's such good advice because you can spend so much energy rerunning things that somebody said and feeling offended and all these things that don't serve you at all. And they've gone on their merry way and haven't given it a second thought probably. <laughs> yeah. Can I share one more quick story with oh, you? Sure. Um, so when I wrote, one of the reasons I, I hesitated writing books and then going out speaking, well, I was deathly afraid of public speaking. I almost didn't graduate high school, seriously, because I wouldn't get up in front of history class and read chapters. But um but I fixed that. You've seen me speak, right? So, oh, yeah. um, but one of the things that I didn't want to write books was I figured I'm no author. I don't know how to write a book. I don't want to put my name on the cover of a book, have people go, what a boob. He doesn't even understand, you know, T-O and not T-O-O, whatever. Well, it turns out you can hire editors. And I've worked with a very good editor to make my thoughts and my views on business and marketing sound like I'm intelligent. So it's like, how I, that's how I praise her. But when I wrote my first book, and I call, it was called The Magic of Newsletter Marketing. And I put it out there. And one of the fears I had was, I know there's a mistake in here. And I would, I've read, I proofread that thing 50 times. Then I went to, I think it was the very first Glazer Kennedy event. And Bill Glazer was, was working on his book, Outrageous Advertising, I think was the name of it. And he says, you know what? I know this book has mistakes in it. You can probably pick out a few grammar misspellings, but you know what the difference between me and you, and he's like talking to about a thousand people, my book's making me money. 
And your book is still in your word processor waiting until it's perfect. <laughs> and I swear, I thought, oh, God, is he looking at me in a room of a thousand people? And I published my book. I pushed go. So it was, I wrote it in about 12 months. It took me six months to get the courage to put it out there. And one month went by, two months went by. We're selling them. People are saying, oh, it's good. Now I understand what kind of content to put in. And then I got an email one fateful day. Hey, Jim, I just thought you'd like to know on page 117, you have a dangling participle. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith, I have no clue what a dangling participle is to this day, but it, it, it shook me to my core, right? Because it was 2009. I'm still like, I'm not the, the badge of courage you see today, right? So I'm like, oh my God, I knew it. I knew this was going to go badly. And, um, and so I hit reply and I said, uh, I don't know, dear Sam, dear Sam, thank you for letting me know. I'm going to alert my uh, publishing team. We'll have that fixed on the next printing. Sounded like a big shot, right? And then the little voice in my head said, oh, add this. And I said, comma, but what did you think of the book other than that? And I sent the reply. Hey, oh, and then he came back. Jim, it was amazing. I've been thinking about doing a newsletter. I know the content. I know how to fold it. I know who to mail it to. It was really, really good. And I said, when that email came back, I sat back in my chair like, what do you know about that? My imperfect book with the dangling participle on page 117 just made this guy's day. And every book that I've written was faster. In fact, the last four books were written and published in less than 60 days. Mm-hmm. So sometimes well, criticism can be your friend. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I have to tell you a funny footnote to that dangling participle. Oh, no. Is, Did you find one? In <laughs> this is so hilarious. No, it's not related to your books. When my business partner, Denny, and I mm -hmm. you know, go back and forth on writing. Now, Jim, you will appreciate this. He has a PhD in English. Oh. And I, I catch his dangling participle. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> One day you'll have to tell me what a dangling participle is. <laughs> well, uh. it's simply where you have a phrase like... Um, now I can't even think of one, but the, the subject of the next phrase doesn't relate to what you wrote in the beginning. Oh, that's very but, possible because my brain goes twice as fast as my hands. So I use it. Anyway, just to let you know, okay. my, uh, uh, this was one positive thing about being uh, growing up and going to Catholic elementary school. Okay. We had grammar it, you know, burned into our brains. Yeah. Anyway, enough of those. Um, the other thing, well, there's several things, but one is. Can I, I'm sorry, Merit, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, the little voice said something else is very pertinent to what we just oh, talked good. about. Okay. So when it comes to criticism, sometimes the criticism will come from within your family, loved ones, mm -hmm. and they will say things not to hurt you, but to protect you, right? So being an entrepreneur is very risky, right? You're going to put yourself out there. You're going to risk your time, your money, perhaps your reputation. So people will protect you. Like being a parent, you know, you're, you never stop protecting your kids. My, my dad is like 88. I'm 62. He'll still tell me, hey, don't forget to put fuel in your boat. Oh, gee, I didn't even think of that, right? But it's just a parental thing, right? Yes. But I remember I teach this lesson about who you should ask for advice. So one of the, I have two quick stories. One of them was I was, when I was exhibiting at a Glacier Kennedy conference, when I started No Hassle Newsletters, 
I had a flyer that was being handed out. And on one side was a picture of a toilet bowl that had $50 bills in it. And I said, stop flushing your marketing dollars down the drain. The flip side was about no hassle newsletters. And I was very proud of it. I designed it. I put it up there. And when Steph got home from her job, I showed her and I'm like, we're ready. Oh, Jim, that's so clever. She goes, I don't think that's appropriate. <laughs> so so it, my balloon kind of deflated. And, and then I was telling this story to my daughter, Jessica. And when we were putting together her website, we came up with a headline. I don't recall what it was, but she showed it to her husband, Jamie, who has like two or three degrees. And he goes, that's not grammatically correct. And, and she said, dad, Jamie said, I said, well, he's right but it's a damn good headline. It's going to grab attention. <laughs> so you have to be careful who you seek advice from in addition to what may come in over the transom. Your, your, your friends and family who are there to protect you and keep you from getting hurt may actually prevent you from doing what needs to be done to grow your business. Yeah, that's, that's such a good principle of being careful of who you share what with. Yes. In, in terms of um, their expertise and their... Um, the. I don't want to say the validity, but the accuracy maybe of, mm -hmm. of their perception based on your own experience. One of the other things that you're so good at and you hold your book on stick like glue was all about, you know, getting customers to stay with you. Right. Um, share just one or two things that you have seen, either you have done yourself or your clients have done to really create that strong bond with a client. So when I was 21 years old, um, I became the manager of a bicycle store. That's where I wrote my first newsletter. But um, it was during it was in 1980, 79 or 80. And it was the end of or during the what we call now the Carter recession. So you remember gas lines, unemployment. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was very, very bad. And so we didn't have any money to market. And I thought, it, back in the day, we had a mailing list, which was on these cards, which had like reverse ink or something. <laughs> you know, this was pre-computer. I said, wow, I've got like 1,200 names and addresses of people that have bought from this store. What if I send them something, invite them back in the store? So I created a newsletter, right? And then I mailed it out. So it wasn't that much money. I, I did it on a typewriter. It was hopeless. And I, I, I didn't really appreciate... Um, that I should have it today. So I have no idea where it is, but it was a two page black and white newsletter that I created on a typewriter. I mailed it out and people started coming in that hadn't been in our store in a while. And so the whole, I could make that a whole lot longer, but the fact of the matter is it is so much less expensive to sell more of your products and services to people that have already proven to be buyers. And those are your current customers. So many business owners, when they get a new customer, how, whether it's referred to them, your marketing, somebody buys something, initial transaction makes them a customer, and then they'll go on and get another one. Well, why don't you show this customer who's already established that they trust you and find value in what you're selling, show them all the other ways that you can service service and take care of them, right? And provide more value. So it's a really all about client retention. I used to teach something called the leaky bucket theory. I kind of created that when I wrote Stick Like Glue. So if you picture a a pail, a metal pail with a handle, like you maybe carried water in the old days and picture that bucket uh, with a few holes in it. So the water leaks out the, the, the bucket represents your business Meredith and the water inside the bucket represents your customers. And as you're losing water, if you don't put 
more water in, which would be customer acquisition. Eventually you want to. So what I'm saying, a better way is just to plug the holes in your business by staying connected with your current customers and even past customers, because you can win them back um, in any number of ways, print and mail newsletter. Actually, yes. Mailing a newsletter and put it in somebody's mailbox. It's, it's the only way to get 100% deliverability rate. We always talk about what's your deliverability on your newsletter? Well, it's 6%. No, I get 100% because we, we actually mail and you can tell them about new ways and, and success stories, things like that. But that's really what it's all about. When you plug the holes in your business and you can increase your retention and your sales uh, with your current customers, your profits go up dramatically because you can really reduce the amount of expensive acquisition costs that are usually associated with growing a business. So retention is where it's at. By the way, the stronger the relationships are that you have with your customers, the more they're going to refer people. So they're not only going to buy more, they're going to refer more. <clears throat> when I Quick story. When I created No Hassle Newsletters in 2007, very proud of it. I mean, I, but I went from zero to six monthly members, 17, but I'm still creating a lot of content and templates, doing a lot of work for a small. So I knew I had to keep growing. Well, I eventually grew to like 40 or 50 in the, about the first year, but people were leaving after about six months. And I'm like, six months. I um, met, met a gentleman um, named Ryan Lee back in the day. He was very big on membership sites. And he said, Jim, most membership sites are like three months, four months. If you're getting six, you're doing well. Well, that didn't sit well with me. So one of the things I did, and <clears throat> I use this term a lot today for some reason, but back in the day, I had like 13 VAs working for me, writers and, and uh, assistants and things. And I said, every time somebody wants to leave, I want to get on the phone with them and find out why. Now, some of the people said, Jim, your newsletter is great. I'm just not using it, so I don't keep paying for it. Other people said, it's really good, but I still struggled getting the first, how to get it done and out the door. So we changed up our system. When somebody became a member, we immediately reached out with a thank you. Here's welcome to the family. And we produced some videos about how to on the membership site. But then we actually offered to help them get their first newsletter done for free. Because Meredith, I knew that if somebody sent a newsletter to their customers once, two, three times, they're going to start seeing it work and then they won't stop. Mm. So we offered to help get their newsletters done. Next thing I did is I put in a multi-step retention program. So on the third on the third or fourth month, I sent them a copy of my book, a physical copy of the book as a, as a gift and welcome. And then uh, six months, two months after that, we sent them what I called gratitude cookies. You probably remember Lori Seitz. I, I used to work with her. Mm-hmm. And so she had these gratitude cookies and um, we developed these little cards with the newsletter guru caricature and said, while well, you're waiting for this, while you're anticipating the, the sweetness of additional profits, here's, you know, enjoy these sweets on me, something like that. The end result, Meredith, was my retention went from six months to almost four years by putting in these steps not not just accepting the fact that I got a I got a customer because they bought something, but I then married myself to the customer. How can I help you? How can we make it better? Give them a little gift, which by the way is reciprocity in full disclosure. It's practice. When you gift somebody, they're even if they're thinking of quitting, well, I can't quit now. He just sent me a book, right? But the longer they stay, the longer they're going to stay. I know it seems weird to say that, but so retention is definitely where it's at. If you can focus a little bit more on customer retention and a little little less on acquisition, you'll find your profits will go up dr- dramatically faster. 
That is excellent because I think what you just described, there's so many things you did to really, you know, reach out. And, and what you're really doing is let them know, I care about your success. Yes. And so few businesses do that, that it, you really stand out when you have that outreach. Especially that. in the online world, Meredith, you know, it's bad enough that, you know, today customer service in any brick and mortar store is like horrible, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trying to find anybody. Can, but I think if you're an online business owner, you're already way behind the eight ball because there's some uh, there's a perception that it might not go well. I'll never find you. You'll never respond to me. So I thought the more I can do to overcome that, and then actually when they buy, then we, hey, this is Lindsay. I'm just calling to make sure you got everything. Do you have any questions? I mean, a person actually called and I said, even if it's even if you see an opening, don't upsell. The first call is just to say, thank you. Welcome to the family. Here's how we can help you. And then get off the phone. Mm -hmm. uh, more great advice. Jim, this is just, uh, we could go on for another hour, I know, uh, because you are such a wealth of knowledge and experience after all these years growing your own businesses and then helping others grow theirs. Um, but for the sake of time, we'll have to wrap up, but I would love for you to share with folks, how can they connect with you? What platforms are you on uh, other than your boat? And uh, <laughs> where can they get your uh, books and, um, and learn more about your services and working? Um, so I've lost count how many websites, but I'll give you my home base. It's getjimpalmer.com, www.getjimpalmer.com. I had to have get because Jim Palmer is some former baseball player. Right. So getjimpalmer.com. Um, you can find all my books there, my courses, et cetera. And everything's a, is about me is there. My podcast is there. Um, the books are also available at Amazon. Um, and then if you're interested in my mastermind group, which which uh, Meredith was a founding member of. At, that is Dream Biz Coaching, dreambizcoaching.com. Great. Thank you. Oh, and if you're interested, just out of curiosity of the lifestyle, the boat, how we do it, where we go, we do have a YouTube channel. Um, if you go to YouTube and type in Our Floating Home, the name of our boat is Floating Home, Our Floating Home. I promise you it's not a redirect into buying something, but a lot of people are curious how we do it, where we go, what it's like. So if you're just curious about this crazy lifestyle, our floating home on YouTube. Oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that too. Sure. And are you, you're on Facebook more than any others or also? Instagram? Yeah, Facebook, although I, I am, I'll be right out there. I'm waiting for the day when I can get off Facebook. It's, it's still an important part of my business, but I, I can't stand social media these days. It's a cesspool of negativity, misinformation, all the, <laughs> But I, it's, a, it's still an important platform for me, but I'm waiting for the day when I don't need to be on social media because I will be gone. But yes, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> well, you're in, uh, in plenty of other places with your books and with your programs. So, yes. Jim, thank you so much. This has been so fun. And you are just a wealth of um, knowledge and experience. And I appreciate your sharing that with my audience today. Oh, it's great to be with you again, Meredith. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.